books were banned and the fire brigade would go around and set fire to books. That was their job. They didn't put out fires in houses. They set fires and they burned houses down. And at the time, people thought, well, that's kind of strange, a strange movie to make. But really, it wasn't at all, because Plato talked about the ability to create culture and control culture and to create the norms 2,300 years ago, how you could literally alter everything that was normal for one generation. And within that one generation, you turn it completely upside down with morals and so on into the reverse and the last ones to really notice it would be those who lived through it. And that's what we're going through right now. We've been going through it for a while. All the norms have been turned upside down because the whole idea is to destroy the old building, the old system. That's the, the high builders, the Freemasonic type system that the guys at the bottom don't know much about. They build the structure of society. And just in the, as in the old days when they were rebuilding or making a brand new cathedral, they knock, knock the old church down at the same time to bring in the new. So they destroy all that was old or, or is in order to bring out that which is new, as they say. And that's what they're doing. And we've all lived through it. We've all been living through the changes, and it's accelerating now. We see this coming like an express train into this controlled society, just like uh, the book I mentioned there. And just like so many of the early science fiction books and movies that came out from Britain, because the guys who wrote these books generally belonged to uh, societies which got their orders from the top. And they wrote in a form of predictive programming so that when you actually experienced these strange changes, you didn't question them. It seemed so familiar to you. You just accepted them. And we're, we're really pretty well here. Now, Professor Carl Quigley, an insider who not only taught at universities and picked men to be Rhodes Scholars like Bill Clinton, he was also an advisor to the State Department and to policymakers in Congress and at the government levels and even in the Pentagon to do with foreign affairs and so on and, and, and different cultures have to, how to work with other cultures or work on other cultures I should really say and he was a, a real insider and he talked about this new feudal system a feudal system where the new overlords would be the CEOs of big corporations and the society we lived in at the moment is a, a drastically different society than the one that even existed in the 50s and the 60s when, when he wrote the book where, where more of producer, consumer orientated and trained that way in fact we literally live our function is to purchase and produce and purchase and produce, that's what we do and, and that became the culture and it's an odd thing to look back on and see it all but, but it didn't used to be like that we lived for other purposes and other reasons often very social reasons, that's all been destroyed, we've all been isolated and separated, and we want to reward ourselves for working every week or month or whatever for the work that we do. And that's exactly what Quigley was talking about, and Charles Galton Darwin was talking about in his book as well, called The Next Million Years. If you condition a whole culture, a world culture, to live for purchasing things, then they would not have the family sizes they used to have. And if you wanted a car, for instance, 
and go to the, the big the, 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 the cost of a car and the, and the payments uh, you have to make on it for the next few years it's like a mortgage then you would delay having a family you might have none at all and the population would be drastically reduced because at the time that he wrote that book in the 1950s uh, the elite were terribly worried about the size of the population because according to them to get over a certain amount a certain number they can't control us anymore and that's why the big push is on now to for, for population reduction it's been on for many many years actually we're seeing the sicknesses everywhere so getting back to the corporations now there's a, a website it's called corp watch for corporations c-o-r-p watch all one word and this was written in November 27th, 2007, by, I think it was Tim Shorrock, about the escalation of corporations in the spying industry, especially the domestic spying industry. And most people, unfortunately, don't even mind this today, but those who have functioning brains and, and they still have the abilities for survival are, are very, very wary of it. And this is what it says. A new intelligence institution to be inaugurated soon by the Bush administration will allow government spying agencies to conduct broad surveillance and reconnaissance inside the United States for the first time under a proposal being reviewed by Congress. A national applications office called the NAO will be established to coordinate how the Department of Homeland Security and domestic law enforcement and rescue agencies use imagery and communications intelligence picked up by U.S. spy satellites. If the plan goes forward, the NAO will create the legal mechanism for an unprecedented degree of domestic intelligence gathering that would make the U.S. one of the world's most closely monitored nations. Until now, domestic use of electronic intelligence from spy satellites was limited to scientific agencies with no responsibility for national security or law enforcement. And that's true. They've been using them for the same purpose, only they couldn't do it legally, so they, they made it private and did all the private spying and passed it on to the NSA. So this article goes on to say, the intelligence sharing system to be managed by the NAO will rely heavily on private contractors, including Boeing, BAE Systems, L3 Communications and Science Applications International Corporation. These companies already provide technology and personnel to U.S. agencies involved in foreign intelligence, and the NAO greatly expands their market. Indeed, at an intelligence conference in San Antonio, Texas last month, the titans of the industry were actively lobbying intelligence officials to buy products specifically designed for domestic surveillance. So here you have uh, corporations lobbying once again all uh, the big security agencies and police and so on. Uh, straight to them, not bypassing the people altogether and marketing their ideas right to those who receive all the funding from your tax money. The NAO was created under a plan tentatively approved in May 2007 by Director of National Intelligence Michael McConnell. Specifically, the NAO will oversee how classified information collected by the National Security Agency, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, and other key agencies is used within the U.S. 
during natural disasters, terrorist attacks and other events affecting national security. The most critical intelligence will be supplied by the NSA and the NGA, which are often referred to by U.S. officials as the eyes and ears of the intelligence community. The NSA, through a global network of listening posts, surveillance planes and satellites, captures signals from phone calls, emails and internet traffic and translates and analyzes them for U.S. military and national intelligence officials. Now, this is one of the biggest growth industries in the U.S. I think it's always keeping it going right now, to be honest with you, because most of the manufacturing is done in China, as we know. And this is to bring the, the global uh, prison camp near to the United States, because I've always said as the U.S. funds and finishes off its job in the rest of the world of standardization into this one system, they'd be pulling the rug from underneath the feet of the people back home by inflation with the dollar, which is happening because the U.S. has to merge with Canada by 2010 and, and Mexico. So the, the, the U.S. dollar really is pretty well on par with, with Canada now. Actually, it's a bit below it. And the, the, they know there's going to be trouble for the next 20 to 30 years. Is this full agenda of totalitarian types uh, of government uh, increases and becomes more obvious to the public. Right now, you don't see too much of it unless you're traveling a lot and going through airports or going into main uh, cities, certain cities more than others. Uh, that's where you'll see all the spying stuff and, and you're questioned and you're maybe searched. And they have all these X-ray machines and so on and MRI imaging so they can actually see your naked body through your clothing. That doesn't seem to upset too many people today. That shows you how bad they've become. They don't care. They don't care. Because in this world that's coming along, a lot of them will be happy slaves as long as they can live their life and buy the goodies and watch television and see their favorite soaps, as they always have done. And as long as that happens, they won't really complain too much they're too well trained, and they are really, and I mean it, they're trained. They don't know it, but they're, they're trained. They're conditioned. So people should look into that website and, and read the rest of the article. It's pretty lengthy, and that's Corp Watch, C-O-R-P Watch. And go through the whole article, November 27th, 2007, because... What do you think this is all about? Do you think it's just a make-work project for police and, and various government institutions and agencies and so on? It's all to do with monitoring you, every single individual, because as they've written for the last 50 years from the top in their own books, the only way to be safe in this brave new world is for everyone to be pre completely predictable. Now, how would you get everyone completely predictable? Well, first you get a personality profile on them. You do it from collecting data from school and various psychological testing and so on. That's already been done. And then you follow them down through your life. And, and you look at their mail and you look at what they buy and so on. And you get a good picture of the person. You see what kind of entertainment they like and what kind of movies they watch. And you know where their, their, their space is between their ears. You know more about them than they do themselves. They're predictable. You can also predict how they'll behave in times of national emergency. Will they panic? Will they go into crisis? Will they cause riots? All that kind of stuff.
And if you're on a list that you might crank up and cause a riot, they're going to pick you up before it happens. I'll be back with more after the following messages. news because until you understand the bad news you can't really do anything about it if you want to live in cotton wool and have selective bad news then that's up to you but this is such an overwhelming agenda uh, that we have to understand as much as we can they were not so overwhelmed after all because every part of this agenda right down to your own lives your own personal life depends on you acquiescing to demands made upon you by the big boys in every facet of your life. That's what it's all about. And that's why you have distractions all the time in the media, the general media, to divert you off into fake crises or sex scandals in Hollywood and uh, all this kind of thing, or or things happening across the planet you can do nothing about in, in faraway places. These are all to detract you from what's happening in your own personal life back home. And you don't see the wolves gathering outside your house or around your door. And that's what these agencies are, the wolves. Wolves that pretend they're here to help you, but in reality, they're here to make sure that you know your place in this new feudal overlord system that's been dreamed up a long, long time ago and now is being implemented but getting back to Britain, because I say Britain always, they never really left the feudal system. In fact, when it went into this cover called democracy, uh, a plan used uh, and an agenda used to make the public think they had rights for a short time, that is, until they brought in the, the brand new system, this one we're coming into now. They gave us this thing called democracy, and that way there were no riots for. Uh, quite a long time and people stopped demanding rights because they thought they had them. It's a very good trick. It works very, very well. But in reality, Britain was a a pretty damp place to live in most of the time, but it was also a depressing place. A lot of places in Europe, because they're so old, have an aura about them because of the officialdom that runs those countries. They're very socialistic, which means they don't like the social people. Uh, It means that that everything to do with the social people is run by bureaucracies, layers upon layers upon layers of bureaucrats dealing with everything in your life. Uh, From school right up through onwards for the rest of your life, it's all to do with agencies and bureaucracies as an oppressive type system. They never had that little bit of freedom that they've had in the U.S., for a, a short time because now it's, it's getting taken away from them too. And the school system in Britain too used to be very, very rigid. 
it was in fact it came out of the military uh, a lot of the teachers who started the first schools in Britain for the general public were recruited from the military and even when I went to school you had to line up outside the school doors in the pouring rain or the snow or whatever and, and regimented lines and you couldn't move anybody moved and the whole line had to stand there until the teacher decided we're all punished and so on that's how it used to be however here's where it's going because now they're raising the school age so that you must go to school till you're 18 it's because there's not enough work for them uh, that's one part of the problem and by the time they're 18 then they can go on social security and get some benefits and stay in the pubs that keeps them quiet Maggie Thatcher said that years ago she says when she extended all the, the, the hours off the pubs or in the bars over there she said it would keep the teenagers off the streets so that they weren't demonstrating about having no work uh, that was the, that's why they're doing this this is part of it and this is from the Guardian Unlimited from Thursday, November 29th, today. It says, Teenagers who refuse to stay on in education when the leaving age rises to 18 will be forced to attend weekend detention centres under new plans. That's good old Britain for you. That's typically European, you see. Rather totalitarian. But that's the authoritarian way of, of uh, Britain and these countries. It says, the punishment would involve sending teenagers to attendance centres for three hours on Saturdays in order to deprive them of their leisure time and restrict their liberty. Head teachers, charities and youth groups condemned the plans which were outlined as part of a bill to raise the education leaving age. John Dunford, General Secretary of the Association of Schools and College Leaders said he had serious reservations about the proposed punishments. Now I won't read the rest of that, people can go into that and, and see it for themselves. This is, again, showing you what's happening uh, in this present system of God. Last week I read something on one of my talks about the schools in Britain and how they're monitored, etc., much like the U.S. has been. And this is to get a generation used to walking through a gate, being monitored, searched, maybe even strip searched if necessary, and, and living in a locked school. Because in Britain now they're putting ID threads, actual threads, into their school uniforms so they can get monitored wherever they go in the school and they can restrict access to certain doors. They can actually lock you in rooms. The doors won't open for you if, if uh, a certain button is punched. These are prison camps. Do you understand what they are? They're prison camps where a, a generation is being trained for the future that they're expected to grow up and live in because this is going to go outside of the school into the community, a totally observed, watched society. That's what it's all about, and that's why they went for the very young to begin with. They always go for the young, those who are going to grow up in a system with big changes. They can bypass the elderly, they'll die off. You always go for the young, and that's what they're doing. So they're putting the school age up until they're, they're basically young adults, 18 years of age, and going to send them off to detention centers if they don't comply. So they're all getting trained already to, to live in forms of prisons. And that's how the system in Europe has been for a long, long time. It was a disguised prison camp, even when I was growing up. 
because even at, at, when, when you were you, you had 15, they'd start coming around the schools for employment of, uh, duties and so on. They'd send officers around from the government to interview everyone. Whether you were staying on a school or not didn't matter. And they, they questioned you and gave you quizzes and all the rest of it. And what they were trying to do was to fit you in and train you for a specific career. That's called school to work. It was copied from the Soviet system. It's now in the U.S. now. They train you for school to work. The, the idea being that they'll, they'll, they'll find out what you're good at at school and train you for something where you'll benefit the society that's been created, not something that you will choose for yourself. The Soviet system. And the Soviet system was the greatest test bed for all of this because that was a huge prison camp, a huge prison camp where the inmates didn't even know they were prisoners most of the time until they tried to demand certain rights or even get out of the country. And then the walls went up and they were bounced right back. It was a big laboratory for social experimentation. And it was done so secretively because the West, at least the public of the West, weren't told what was really going on. However, at the very top of the Soviet Union and in Britain, MI6, and the CIA, they were all sharing the same data because they were all in it together. They were all bringing a future together where they'd, had to, they'd have to understand people much, much better than they did at the beginning. That's what it was all about. And you'll find even with the Rees Commission that looked into foundations, the big foundations, the big Rockefeller, etc. foundations, this all came out in the open. And we'll be back with more of this after the following messages. Listening to We the People Radio Network. Television 
every classroom in the Soviet system had one of these boxes on the teacher's desk. And when it was switched on, it made the, the students very quiet and relaxed and calm and quiet. And, and they didn't ask any questions. They just sat and listened. That's the effect it had on the mind. Now, for those who have heard me talk about HARP, etc., uh, that can also do the same kind of thing. Harp, the HARP project, the H-A-A-R-P project, with many bases, one in Alaska, and one in Greenland and some in Iceland as well. There's a couple in Iceland and there's others across the world. They can also do that, and that's in the Weather Warfare Treaty at the United Nations. They can do a whole range of things. But they use these little boxes in the school classes, the school rooms in the Soviet Union. And behaviorism was used. Behaviorism, the kind of techniques that Skinner was into on how to remake people, basically, understand their minds and remake them into what you wanted them to be was used extensively on them. Tremendous experimentation. And everything we, we think is normal today is, is not normal at all. It's completely different from 50 years ago as that was from the 50 years before that. We take things for granted because we adapt so quickly. We're the most adaptable species on this planet. And as I say, uh, the big foundations they're part of the intelligence agencies, in fact. They fund NGO groups, non-governmental organization groups, big groups, and give them millions and millions and millions of dollars to set up huge office complexes and give them pension funds and all the rest of it, these NGO groups that you think are charities, to demand, to demand certain laws get passed by governments so that they become lobby groups. And that's really how the Soviet system worked because Soviet means ruled by councils. And the people under the, under the charter, it sounded wonderful. The people would have a say, and they did demand what they wanted. But the Politburo picked the leaders of these NGO groups, and they did all the demanding that the Politburo wanted. That's how it worked there. Here, it's, it's the same, same thing. Really, the big foundations, like the Rockefeller Foundation, fund the NGO leaders, and they come out and on behalf of the people, of course, and demand that certain laws get passed. The laws all head us towards the same Soviet-type system, by the way. And the book called Foundations, Their Power and Influence was written with an expose of the, uh, by Norman Dodd, who was one of the investigators for the Rees Commission, into the power of the big foundations, these non-profit foundations that are worth trillions of dollars. And he found out, he talked to the ones in the Ford Foundation, and, and the guys at the Ford Foundation told them their job, their job back in the 60s, was to alter culture in such a way that the Soviet system and the American system could be comfortably merged together into the same system. Amazing, isn't it? And we think everything just evolves because... We're living it half in fantasy and half in, in irrelevancy, as the, the relevant news. And we live in entertainment and, and so on. And we live in boring jobs. Most jobs are pretty boring. I think most people would agree with that. And they're not really composmentos in the sense that they're aware of what's really happening, not only in their own lives, but to those around them. We're all guinea pigs. All guinea pigs. The only difference is the scientists who run this whole show uh, know exactly how to alter our behavior into the next into the next way that they want us to be 
the next society, the new society, the global society. And for over a hundred years, these same big foundations promoted globalism under the guise to get a lot of people working towards it, people who were very nice and often altruistically minded and anti-war and all the rest of it, thinking it was going to be a wonderful utopia and lots of freedom. But, of course, they're liars at the top. That's how you rule people, you lie to them. That's always been the way. Read your history books. Read Francis Bacon. Read the books that, that he wrote for the king on how to run the public. When he told the king, you must always mislead the people. It's best not to let them know what's really happening. And nothing has changed. We've been heading towards this supposed utopia, and it's going to be a hell on earth. A hell on earth, and it's becoming that way already. If the people really understood what's been done to them in their own lifetime, I'm talking about physically as well, I'd hope, I'd hope there'd be an uproar. I'd hope, but that'd be a lot to hope for. Because the damage that's been done to most of them has made that impossible for most of them. And that's why when you point out the chemtrails in the skies, when you point out in the big cities the guys with the machine guns all dressed in black, like something out of what used to be just a comic strip, and they take it all for granted, that's why there's no reaction from them. You're seeing someone who's been damaged. Go into the books by Arthur Kosler. He was a paid propagandist. It's now been admitted to by MI5 and 6 in Britain, along with Bertrand Russell, who was also paid to. The two of them were actually ordered at times to work on the same books for the public consumption. And it didn't get on too well because because Russell was always hitting on Kostler's wife. It was all admitted to now. They can tell you that 50 years after the fact. You see, disclosed it after. No one cares. And they also gave most of the biggest authors you've ever heard of that amazed you and amused you and even altered your lives, including the poets even. They paid the, the main ones to write along certain avenues, to channel your thought along certain avenues, to create the kind of society they wanted. They gave us pretty well everything that we thought was our culture. No big surprise in that going back to Plato. Plato's Republic is a must read. He talks about this coming utopia for the guardian class, the elite aristocracy, where where it would be easy to alter culture. He goes through what's necessary to alter culture and what culture actually is. And he talks about a music industry 2,300 years ago. And he called it industry. And a fashion industry. And a drama industry. Because he said the public mimic what they see on stage. And they dress the way that they see their actors dressing on stage. And they sing the songs, parrot fashion of the songs that they hear. Music was so powerful back in the days of Plato, he wanted musicians to be licensed. Because it had such a tremendous effect on the, the youth. So even then they wanted all culture under the control of 
the guardian class, the elite. And he said himself that anything coming from the grassroots could have such unseen consequences by rippling effects that would knock any plan haywire and therefore all culture would have to be approved and given from the top down to the people. And every major character at the top who's had a big, big, big following towards this new social culture creation agenda like Bertrand Russell and Wells and many others in Kostler, they all were paid by the same agencies that gives our culture, which were also your spy agencies. And you thought we were just evolving. Nothing's further from the truth. I'll be back with more after the following messages. Great host, great topics, free speech at its best. This is We the People Radio Network. correct 
perception being how you really see things. They want to give you a false perception. If they give you a false perception, then you're now safe. And he understood this, but he saw a time coming where everyone would be communicating with people across the planet, not as person to person, but as isolated voices in the ether, where there'd be no physical contact. He knew it was coming back then, because a little birdie told him. These guys don't come out with these ideas themselves. Little birdies tell them, you see, whisper it in their ear. The future is always planned in advance. That's why powerful people, institutions, and aristocracy, very old families, never lose power. They plan the future that you're going to live through, and your children are going to live through. Otherwise, in a society of freedom, they might just lose power, wouldn't they? They can't have that. So they, they create the system, and they give you your perceptions, and even give you new social values. All the time you've been given new social values as you knock down the old ones. And any value that caused cohesion within society has been pretty well destroyed by design. The people follow along, never even noticing it. They, they see the fallout, but they, can, they can't figure out why it arrived at this part, this point. They just can't figure that part out. Because most people are never really conscious going through their day-to-day -day affairs. Wild animals have all their instincts working, and a wild animal on its route, on a circular route, even wolves do this, they'll examine everything on that route for any changes in its environment, because any change could be a potential danger. But the general public take everything in their stride. They don't even look up from the sidewalk, generally, from the pavement. They don't even look at the sky anymore to see the spring above their heads. That's why there's so much of it going on now, because the ones at the top know that the very few people will even notice it. That's quite the knowledge, to know that most people, millions of people, won't notice what's being done right over their heads. Isn't that a sad statement on what's happened? They don't even look up anymore. They look in shop windows and everywhere else, but they won't look up. Earthbound, earthbound indeed. And how did all this start? What happened to their minds? Well, getting back to Arthur Kessler with his book. Now, these guys were paid to write fiction and non-fiction books, just like H.G. Wells was paid. They were propagandists for this regime. And Kessler talked, or Kessler talked, in The Ghost Machine about different think tanks and laboratories that worked for the United Nations finding ways to destroy that part of your brain they gave you your individuality they called it the ghost in the machine the complete wholeness that is you use the uniqueness that is you would have to be destroyed for world peace they said therefore they had think tanks set up with laboratories in different areas of how to do this. They used psychology, that was part of Kostler's uh, uh, methodology. And persuasion, that's why they wrote novels as well, to make you excited about the changes because they, they dress up with nice, nice colors and so on. Always lying to you, but make you want to. But they also used physical means and chemical means. 
And the physical means they use, of course, we know were lobotomies and different techniques like this. But they also used chemicals, chemicals that were, that were manufactured in biowarfare laboratories that would catch on to certain uptakes in the bloodstream that go right to your brain, specific parts of your brain, and cause inflammation and destroy it. Your IQ would drop a little bit, perhaps, but you become passive. They also tried in inoculating viruses into subjects, test viruses. Now, viruses are the easiest things for them to alter at the top in the big laboratories. I was reading something recently, and in the fast breeders, they call them, they can literally create a brand new virus in warfare laboratories within two hours. And they can specifically design it to attach itself to any anything at all in the body, in the bloodstream, to be carried to that specific organ, including the brain. Then when you go back into the writings of Jacques E. Lowe and others, big players, big players and insiders, even mentioned about the Soviet Union and how that technique might be used elsewhere, where they could directly inoculate you and destroy that part of the brain in one of his books didn't mention the fact it would be used elsewhere in the world, but when you catch on to things and you read your histories and you realize that even MI5 and 6 agents were catching on, there was a third party running both the Soviet side and the British intelligence side. And that third party's job was to make sure that the guys at the bottom were kept apart, thinking it was a real war, but the guys at the top coordinating all and getting all the data and information from it. Some of them wrote about it and were almost put in prison. They were definitely in the High Court in England. They tried to disclose this fact because the data was to be used on the whole world. So let's take in the modification of the human being and we're talking about the possibilities of inoculations. Then they went after our food supply. Kessler talks in the book, he says, we can either inject it into them, spray it on them from the skies by aircraft, put it in their water or put it in their food. Well, what's been happening, folks, in your lifetime? You've seen all of your food modified. They didn't ask you permission. They won't even disclose to you what they've done to it or how many genes went into making that carrot or where they came from or how those things combined to create drugs and all the rest of it. And, and that's not far-fetched. Don't think that one of the strongest drugs in the world comes from a plant. Opium. They can make them grow anything they want, including tranquilizers. We're being bioengineered, and that's why the folk around you, most of them, are not reacting to the changes and to all the things that should be scaring them. Now, we've got Jim from Texas. Are you there, Jim? Yes, Alan. Yes. Uh, pleasure to talk to you. Huge fan. I actually just ordered a set of your books, and I'm actually going to order a set for my father as a Christmas present. I, I don't think you really um, push your books that much. I think people need to get into them because just some really great info. But uh, what I was going to ask you is I've noticed myself and for most people that, you know, seek truth and question things, it's more of a, 
lifelong process. You know, I remember being a little, as a child, always questioning and wondering and, you know, yeah. kind of thinking this is all, you know, a play or, you know, fake. You could tell it wasn't real. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering uh, if you could touch on it for a second. If, if most people who are going to wake up are born that way, or yeah. if people, you know, if that's something inherent at birth or if people can be transformed. Oh, okay, hold on, and we'll talk about that when you come back from the break. Okay. Okay. 